Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. CampX, YouthX, amazing stuff coming up this summer. In case you're wondering or you're a first-time guest with us today, man, we love the next generation. We care about investing in the next generation and about teaching them about the person of Jesus Christ. And so this summer is going to be a blast. Come on, somebody. It's going to be a lot of fun. Fired up. Huge welcome to everybody who's getting baptized in the service today and your families, welcome. We are so glad that you're here with us. Gonna get to that in a moment and that's gonna be the highlight of the service as it is every single time. But yes, as Bo mentioned, we are jumping back into the book of Ephesians and today we are launching into part three of this series and if you have a Bible, you can open it. If you've got a phone with the Bible app on it, you can open that. If you have neither of those things, you just want to read it on the side screens, we've got you covered, okay? So wherever you may need uh, to look at the Word of God, we're going to look at this together and this is, um, man, such an important passage of Scripture. This is one of those, those chunks of the Bible that if, if, man, if you looked across the landscape of the Bible and you saw some mountain peaks that were like, wow, that's really important. I mean, the whole Bible's the living word of God. It's all really important. But this is definitely like one of the Mount Everest moments in the Bible. Because this is where Paul is unpacking what it means to be saved, like what Jesus has done for us, the truth of salvation. And so we're going to read it, then we're going to unpack it. Together, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. Here we go. It says this, And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And that's been the key of Ephesians all the way through. With Christ, in Christ, through Christ, everything in the Christian faith is connected to Jesus made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God not a result of work so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created, where? In Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's so much in that passage of scripture. I think I could preach for three weeks on it. I'll try and go 20 minutes. Um, It's an amazing passage of the Bible. There's so much rich theology. There's so much in here, in this section, that that we could unpack. But one of the things that struck me about this passage, and, and really one of the things that I see throughout the whole book of Ephesians, is this whole idea of calling and walking. 
the call and the walk. In fact, if you're taking notes today, you can put this at the top of your little note app or your notebook, the call and the walk. That's the title of the message today. And, and here's the amazing thing about God, the amazing thing about the scriptures. You see, God is calling. He's calling everyone to experience the free gift of grace. He's calling everyone to go from spiritual death to spiritual life. He's made a way through the cross of Jesus Christ for all to come and be saved. That's the good news of the gospel. But the question is this, will you respond with a walk? Will you walk towards him? Will you move towards him? All throughout the Bible, we see this reality of the call and the walk. I mean, a few chapters later in Ephesians, look what Paul says specifically about, about this. He says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord, in case you missed the first two parts, uh, Paul is writing this letter from jail. So uh, praise God, we've got some comfortable seats in here today and you're not in prison. Uh, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to what? To walk in a manner worthy of the what? The call, the calling to which you've been called with all humility. Now, now what does it mean to walk? It's how we live, right? How we walk is how we live. That's what Paul's talking about. He says, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. You've been called to new life. You've been called a son or a daughter of the king. You've been called to represent Jesus on this earth, right? So walk with what? Humility gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity in the church, the bond of peace. It's amazing. Because Paul is writing to a church in Ephesus that is comprised of Jews and Gentiles. We're talking like generations, ages, thousands years old racial divide between Jewish people and Gentiles. We're Gentiles. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. That's the rest of the world. So he's trying to create unity, a whole new community of people under the name of Jesus in unity, Jew and Gentile. There's racial tensions. There's political tensions. There's all the tensions. And he's saying, friends, we're walking in a whole new way. We're bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. You've been called to be God's representatives. Walk in a way that's worthy. I mean, all the way through the scriptures, we see this reality of the call and the walk, you know, going all the way back to Abraham. God called Abraham out of Ur, where he was living. Ur, as in you are, it was the name where he was living. <laughs> name of the place he was living. He said, Abraham, Come on, come follow me. I have a call on your life. I want to make you the father of a great nation. Look at the sky, Abraham. Your children will be more than the stars in the sky. But what did Abraham have to do? He heard the call. He had to walk, literally, across the desert towards the promised land. And the call of God, when it's fused, when it's combined with the obedience, the walk on our end, it produced a nation called Israel through whom God saved, brought salvation to the world in Jesus Christ. The call of God combined with the walk of God produces God's work in the world. Think of this again, Moses, okay, tending sheep in Midian. And God called him from a burning bush, a bush that did not burn. And Moses followed the call. Despite the fact, despite his own objections, God, I'm not good at speaking, I'm afraid. Uh, you're asking me to go up against Egypt. 
like the biggest powerhouse in the world at the time. And, you know, aside from this, you know, bush that's on fire, I, are you going to be with me, God? You know, like, are you really going to be there? So God called Moses, and Moses walked in obedience. He followed the call, and through just this one weak, imperfect man, God broke the shackles of slavery for Egypt and set them free from the most powerful nation on earth so that generations later they could step into the promise. Friends, when the call is combined with the walk, things start to happen. Fast forward a few thousand years, there's this you know, this guy from Nazareth, a carpenter on the, si- on the seashores of Galilee. And he calls four fishermen. He says, come follow me. His name just so happens to be Jesus. And pretty soon the four disciples become 12. This ragtag group of guys that can't seem to get their act together and have no idea what's going on through most of the Gospels. And amazingly, through this combination of the call and their weak walk, but they're following Jesus. They're walking in his footsteps. God brings about the church, which then becomes the greatest, the largest movement in the world. Billions upon billions of people building hospitals, orphanages, sharing the good news, going to the ends of the earth, sacrificially laying down their lives for the fame and the glory of Jesus. A earth-changing, world-shattering event happened. The church was born because the call was combined with the walk. There's a call and there's a walk. God does the calling. We respond by saying, Lord, we want to give you our whole lives. We're going to walk this thing out in our actual lives. This was amazing to me as I was researching this idea of the call and the walk. Do you know the Hebrew word for Bible is mikra? It's mikra. And the verb form of mikra is to call. It's a voice calling. You know, dad's like when you're trying to get your kids in at the end of the day, Jonathan, come home, it's dinner time. Hopefully the kids walk in the direction of your voice. But it's a call. You see, when you read the Bible, it's not just about getting information and discussing it and trying to prove a point. It's actually about listening to the living word of God, the voice of God, and following it and obeying it, living it out. This is a living, active call of God to you every day. That's why you have to get in the word of God, because otherwise you can't hear the daily call or the voice of God, and you won't know where to walk or how to walk. You won't know how to walk this thing out. Friends, this Jesus, in John 1, it says, the word of God was, the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the word of God. This is the living, active, breathing, inherent word of God. Friends, when we get into this, we, we don't just use our minds to learn. We engage our hearts to follow, to follow the call of God to us in and through his word. Here's what I know as I think about this idea of call and walk. Friends, The call without the walk is nothing. Faith without action is dead, says James. The call of God without the response from our life is nothing. And here's what I'm afraid of. I'm not afraid of filing cabinets, but anybody have one of these filing cabinets in their house? Old school, you know what I'm talking about? A few left right here and there. Uh, this This was actually, I literally pulled this out of my garage this morning. It's insanely heavy, like insane, I almost threw my back out. And um, 
my dad had one of these, right? And, and I remember um, <laughs> it seemed like all the most important stuff in the world was in my dad's filing cabinet. And I mean, he was in that thing all the time, like all the time. I mean, I don't even, I don't know if it's where he filed articles or things he wanted to come back to or important documents or whatever, but he was always like messing around in the filing cabinet and his filing cabinet was like this big and he had like three of them, okay? Different generation, but still filing cabinets. Now it's like, okay, here's my filing cabinet right here. All my folders and files are somewhere in the cloud. I have a few physical documents, but maybe because my dad had one, I don't know. I just felt like I need a filing cabinet to be a, a man, you know, a husband, a father. You got to have a filing cabinet. And I literally, <laughs> this has been with me since I was in seminary in Kentucky, and I've may, maybe opened it seven times total. And I, I literally, since I've been to California, I, I literally have not opened it one time. We've been here almost five years. It's just sitting in my garage. And I was like, man, What's in this? I literally was like, what's in here? I was like, this is gonna be an adventure for me, okay? And I found in here some old, I mean, I have some old tax documents from 2009. I've got old mortgage statements. I've got just a bunch of random things that I, I've never needed, never used. And I don't know, maybe it just makes me feel better because I have a filing cabinet with some of this stuff in here. And then the, the bottom drawer, this was really exciting. Um, I found this right, right here, installation manual for the caretaker, the alarm system that we put up in our house in Atlanta. <laughs> I'm so glad I brought this with me to California in case I need to know how to install the, the caretaker alarm system that we had in Atlanta. Even better, I also found a, a Honeywell operating manual for your air conditioning unit, which we installed in the rental house that we had in Kentucky while I was in seminary. So this has been with us for a while, the Honeywell operating manual, in case I, I ever need to know how to operate my air conditioning in Kentucky. Um, <laughs> a lot of random stuff in my file cabinet. But here's the thought I had. I think for many of us, especially in America, we've treated the Bible as this thing where it's like, okay, we'll talk about it, We'll learn some stuff from it. Um, you know, it's got some good wisdom or some good knowledge. Uh, but really, you know, I, I don't really see how it's applying to my everyday life or I'm not really following the call that I hear in the Bible every day. But I want it around. I'll keep it in the file cabinet somewhere in my brain somewhere or in the garage or maybe in the back of a closet somewhere. I'll, I'll just keep it there in case maybe one day, I don't know, I get audited and I got to pull out my taxes from 2003 Maybe, but friends, I'm afraid that we've separated the reality of God's word, the call of God's word, of God's word from us in the scripture, and we've just filed it away in some cabinet somewhere, and we say, hey, I know the right stuff, but we're not walking anywhere. We're not following Jesus. We're not listening. There's not this active participatory relationship with God. It's just sort of filed away. I can... Maybe defend my faith or quote a few verses if I'm really pressured, but friends, we hardly read the Bible. If we're honest, we hardly read it. And when we read it, we, we study it, we try and get some more information, but the whole point of it, the call of God to us in the mikra, in the word of God, is to get us moving, is to get us going on the path, following Jesus. That's the point. 
And so Paul starts off right off the top, and I, I'm just, I'm going to put all my cards on the table here because he starts off heavy, okay? I mean, he starts real heavy in this section of, of Scripture, and it's, um, it's heavy. So welcome to church. Here we go. But uh, he gets into this, this section here in Ephesians, and he says this. He says, uh, actually, you were dead. <laughs> you were dead in the trespasses and sins of your life, right? So this route is spiritual death in the trespasses and sins. And if the biblical worldview just shows us from the beginning with Adam and Eve, when they disobeyed, turned away from God, that brought, that brought death into the world. Death was not a plan of God's original design. So sin led to death because they were separated from the source of life, which was God. And he goes, look, you, He's talking to the Gentiles right now. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That was just naturally how you lived. You were dead in your soul, and it produced actions in your life that led to more death, more pain, more sorrow. You were following, following, walking in the course of this world. And again, here we have this idea of walked, right? Walked. You were following the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the children of disobedience. And it's amazing to me because as you, as you look at this reality, this is heavy. He's saying, look, you've got a pretty hopeless situation here, friends. You're dead. You can't raise yourself to life because you and everybody else has turned away from God at one level or another. We're not perfect. We need grace. That's the biblical worldview. We're just doing what comes natural to us, walking away from God. N.T. Wright, one of my, my favorite theologians, he said it like this. He said, we live in a world where human beings left to themselves not only choose the wrong direction, but remain cheerfully confident that it is in fact the right one. Indeed, people regularly point out as evidence of it being the right one, the right direction, how confident they are on the subject. They point it out like, I'm sure I'm going the right way. I'm loving this life. They say in their own defense, look at all my fellow travelers on this road. I must be going the right way. You know, one of the uh, vulnerable moments here, one of the, the pain points, one of the tension points in my marriage <laughs> with my wife, my amazing wife, is is simply this, it's the fact that I am awful at directions. I'm terrible at directions, but I never wanna admit it. Like I won't own that fact, and she's incredible. She's got like Google Maps in her head, right? For me, if I come to an intersection, and deep down in my gut, I'm like, I feel like we should go right, I will just turn left on principle, because I know whatever I'm feeling is probably wrong. But I won't admit that. Come on, husbands, we live for the small wins, right? The small victories. But I'll never forget, we were heading, we just first moved to California, we were heading to a friend's house, and uh, it was one of those rare moments where I actually did know where this house was. We came to this intersection, and I'm about to turn right because I just remembered I, their house is right down there, and my wife stepped in, and she goes, no, it's actually down to the left. I said, no, I'm, I'm pretty, actually this time I'm pretty sure it is to the right. She's like, sweetheart, every time you're pretty sure, just go the other way, right? You're wrong. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna win this one. I was like, okay, you're right, let's go left. Off we went, right? I didn't even care if we were gonna be late. 
It didn't matter. I was going to win this time, right? So we start going left, and she's looking around, and she's like, oh, maybe this or no. Oh, is it? Mm, gosh. And then finally she had to say it. <laughs> Sorry, sweetheart. I, I have to get one win, okay? <laughs> this happens to me all the time. She's like, oh, man, oh, maybe you're right. It's the other way. But she was confident. I've been confident. We've all been confident, confidently going the wrong, the wrong direction, walking this course in life that we think is going to lead us to joy or happiness or satisfy us or find purpose in this, and it ends up being the wrong way, and we don't even know it, and that's what Paul is saying. He's saying whenever you follow just the, the deep urges, and, and he gets into this a little bit more in verse 3. He goes, actually, that's how all of us used to live. Not just you Gentiles, us too, the Jewish people. All of us used to live this way, following our physical desires. We used to do what our flesh and our minds were urging us to do. What was the result? We too were subject to wrath in our natural state, just like everyone else. It's a tough predicament we're in, according to Paul right here. It's hard. In the modern context of our world, these ideas of spiritual death and wrath and sin and all these sort of things, man, they'd be canceled in like three seconds on any news source. <laughs> Can't talk like that in the world today. But Paul's like, look, I'm trying to let you know what's actually happening, what has happened. I'm trying to share the truth, be a truth-sayer with you. Real objective truth exists, and the, the rea reality is this. The reason there's death, pain, and suffering in the world is because we've turned away from God. Started in the very beginning. And guess what? There's a call, there's an invitation to anyone to find new life available in Jesus Christ. You just gotta walk that way by faith. You gotta take a step. And friends, I mean, we, we know it's true. I mean, just, just pause and think about your own life for a second. How many times have you had a physical desire or, or an urge to follow our flesh and our minds were urging us to do that you thought to yourself or you realized, man, that would feel great right now. I think that would make me happy, at least for a minute. Gosh, I really want to go that direction. But you thought twice about it and you realized, wow, if I just follow what I want to do right now, it's going to lead to disaster. I may end up ruining a 20-year marriage and ostracizing myself from my children. I may end up uh, compromising my integrity for a quick financial win. I may end up hurting somebody else because they made me mad and I just had to talk to someone else about it and start a gossip mill about that person. But it felt so good in the moment, what I was urged to do. Man, how many times in our life have we felt the urge from our thoughts, our feelings, our desires to do something that we knew deep down this is not going to end well? It's not going to end well. And where Paul is taking us in this entire passage, even as he dives into words, again, that, that we're uncomfortable with, this, this idea of of wrath, the wrath of God. And we know the beautiful thing of the cross. We learn it in Romans 3 that the wrath of God was actually poured out on Jesus for us. It's poured out on Jesus. But we also know that in Romans 1, God talks about it. And he says, you know, the other side of wrath is, 
it's sort of passive in the sense of sometimes God will just let you do what you want to do. You have an urge to do that, a desire to do that. You, you don't want to listen to the voice of the Spirit in your life. You don't want to follow. You don't want to walk in the way of Jesus. I'm not going to stop you. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you go that way, and maybe at rock bottom you'll turn back. Romans 1 says, the wrath of God is revealed simply through giving people over to their desires, what they want as they reject God. Giving us what we want, sometimes what we want is the very thing that leads to our death. And here we come to the end of verse three. And everybody's thinking, man, I really wish I didn't come to church today. <laughs> Thought about uh, a movie I love, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Come on, somebody. There's this awesome scene where they're on the run from the cops, George Clooney and all his cronies, they're in the barn, and the bullhorn comes from outside, and they're like, we've got the building surrounded. Give up, get on out. And George Clooney climbs up the hayloft, and he looks out the front, and he goes, oh man, we're in a tight spot. And then his other buddies come around, they're looking out the front, and they, the, the police start just shooting at him, like shooting at him. And George goes, oh man, we're in a tight spot. And then one of the cops goes to the bottom of the barn, he lights the barn on fire. And he looks at his buddies, he's like, oh man, we're in a tight spot. And I, I get to the end of verse three, and I'm like, oh man, we're in a tight spot. It's like somebody sent us in a, in a car with no brakes down a hill towards a cliff. We're dead. We're under wrath. Uh, we can't stop this thing. We think we're going the right direction, but it's ruining our life. Everything in us wants the things that hurts us. How do we get the brake going on this thing? And all of a sudden, we get to verse 4, and there's some hope because it says, but God, like very hopeful words, okay? You're in a bad spot, you're in a tight spot, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Saved. And friends, you will never understand the depth of God's love for you until you understand the depth of what you've been saved from. It won't, grace won't even matter to you. You won't even care about it. Oh, grace is great. Mercy, sure, whatever. No, you were in a tight spot. You weren't getting out of that on your own. There was no hope for you or for me, none whatsoever. But Paul goes on. He says, look, you've been saved. And he raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages... Check it, it's plural, S. Ages, you know how long an age is in the biblical timeline? A thousand years. So he's talking about for all the future eternity in the coming ages, he would show you the immeasurable, you can't even measure them, the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He's gonna show you for ages what he's done for you. What he's done for you. And that's the starting point of you becoming, of you walking into who you were made to be. So the book of Ephesians is about, it's the intersection of the call and the walk. 
the call of God's grace, receiving the mercy of God, but then walking and following this thing out, letting it be, be saturating with our full lives. We'll invite the keys out for this moment. I'm gonna close with this. I was, um, I was very young when my grandfather passed away. He was a, he was a military uh, hero. And I'll never forget, I was about nine or 10 years old, and um, he, he had been a part of one of the first crews that was storming the beaches in Normandy in World War II. Lost more friends than he could count on that day. He was a part of one of the, the liberation teams that liberated concentration camps. So he would, was on the front lines and he saw the horrific effects of Nazism. And he, he vowed right then and there, I'm going to spend the rest of my life fighting communism and all this worldview that produces this. And uh, he fought in Vietnam. He fought in every major, major conflict until the day of his death. And um, he died of cancer, young. And uh, they believe it was in connection to Agent Orange, which he came into contact with. And my grandfather had, th- had three purple hearts. And it was, it was amazing because I didn't know him very well. He didn't talk a lot. And we lived pretty far away from my grandparents. And... But I remember, I'll never forget it. it, it marked me so deeply. I'll never forget attending his funeral in Arlington National Cemetery. And my dad, my dad brought me up, there was a reception line as the service was coming to an end. And man after man walked up to shake the hand of my dad and his brothers. And they were there with their wives, their children, their grandchildren. And with tears in their eyes, they would, they would look at my father and they would say, I just got to tell you thank you for your father's sacrifice. I'm here, I'm alive today because he came back for me. He ran back into bullets. He took bullets for me on Normandy Beach. He took bullet for me in Vietnam. Everyone was running and he went the other direction and he got me and then he pulled me to safety and he went in again. He kept going back for people and pulling them out. And it was like person after person after person just saying thank you. The wives of these men saying thank you. The children, the grandchildren saying thank you. I was rescued, I'm here because of your dad, my pops, my grandfather. And friends, that's the story of the gospel. You will never have the gratitude in your heart towards God or towards Jesus over what he's done for you until you realize you were left for dead, but he ran back in and said, I'm coming for you to rescue you. You won't feel it. It won't matter to you. Grace won't matter to you until you see it and you feel it. And you say, man, I was dead. I was going the wrong way. I was walking in my sin. I was blinded to the life of God and God broke in. He called my name. He called me by name. He knows all your names. He knows the name of every person watching online and he's calling you today and he's inviting you to life, life, new life. He's saying, walk with me now. There's a call and there's a walk. 
And the walk requires you picking up a cross and following Jesus, dying to yourself, laying down your life so you can have new life. But he came for you. Friends, if you've, we're about to celebrate baptisms. We're about to celebrate the stories of men and women, boys and girls who've gone from death to life, who've received the grace of God, accepted the fact that God came back for them. And friends, if you're here today and you're like, I, I want to put my faith in Christ and get baptized, do not leave today. We've got, we got swimming trunks for you. We got towels. We got to change it. We got everything in all sizes, I think. I might be lying right now. I hope I'm not. Um, but just get baptized in your clothes. <laughs> if you put your faith in Christ, the next step is baptism. We're going to have baptisms in service. We have some people getting baptized after service. If you want to get baptized today, talk to our team. We would love for this to be that day. And for you to get baptized, you have to take a step of faith today in Jesus Christ. But the only reason you're able to take a step is because you see the distance he came for you. He came back for you. He took more than a bullet for you. He took the cross. He took the full wrath of God on his body and he died so that you could live. He rose to new life to give you new life. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna take communion together. But if you've never prayed, if you've never put your faith in Christ, I'm inviting you to pray with me right now. And if this is you, if right now you wanna put your faith in Christ while all eyes are closed and everybody's bowing their head in here, just a private moment between you and the Lord, but I want you to put your hand up high and say, right now I wanna put my faith in Christ. If that's you, just let me see your hand. I wanna pray with you. raise your hand high if that's you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Mm. And just go something like this in your own heart to the Lord. You just say, Jesus, thank you. In your heart to the Lord, say, thank you that you came back to rescue me. In your heart to him, reach out and say, thank you that you died on the cross for my sins, Jesus. In your heart, say to him, I believe you rose from the dead so that I could have new life. Ask him right now for forgiveness. Lord, forgive me from all the ways that I've turned away from you. If you prayed that prayer with me today, I want to encourage you to fill out the uh, connection card on the seat back in front of you. One of those cards has the option to say, today I put my faith in Christ, and we want to give you a Bible. We want to pray with you. We want to give you some resources to help you on the journey. Please fill out that card. We'd love to connect with you. We'd love to pray with you. For the rest of us in this moment, we're going to take communion. We're going to celebrate communion together, and then we're going to really celebrate some baptisms. So at this time, in remembrance of what Christ did for us on the cross, let's take communion together, remembering that his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us on the cross. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. 
To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.